0: You're listening to a Two Jackets podcast. Check out more at twojackets.com. Welcome to
1: Sham Fiction, the podcast where we break the first rule of fan fiction, that you have to be a fan to
0: write it. We're Two Jackets Productions. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. And I'm Marcus. Here's the format. Each installment, Andrew, Eric, or Marcus, will be presented with a media franchise that they are unfamiliar
2: with and challenged to write fanfiction about it. We'll start by giving the author some basics, like characters, overarching plots, and those special elements that make each franchise great. The author will then take
1: this info, throw out what they don't like, add a generous helping of creative license, and come back ready to read their masterpiece for all of us to enjoy. It's fanfiction written by non-fans.
2: It's Sham Fiction. This week's author is Marcus. All right, guys, what Stephen King book do you have for me this week?
0: Oh, oh. man, we're continuing our Stephen King month. With, no, we're not doing Stephen King. Oh, it's okay. it's over. It's, over. It's, done. it's done. Sorry, we are, but we are, we are covering a book, Marcus. Did you Marcus. read it to Andrew? Andrew and I. <laughs> actually read a book that you haven't read. This has never happened before oh in the history of mankind. I'm so excited. You know, it's not
1: even in this show. It's just the history of history. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <Yep>. <laughs> Margus,
2: <what? laughs> have you read anything by Sir Terry Pratchett? The late and phenomenal Sir Terry Pratchett. I have read his collaboration with Neil Gaiman, Good Omens. Oh yes. But it is one of the great oversights in my literary experience. I have not Dive deep into his Discworld series, his Magnum Opus.
0: And that is exactly what we're covering, sir. The Discworld. We are in fact going to tell you about the first published Discworld novel, The Color of Magic. Ooh, yes. And I'm very excited for this. Uh the 1983 novel by Sir Terry, back before he was Sir Terry. Um it's it's just so fantastic because it's fantasy, it's funny, uh, it's great comedy. And you know what? More than anything, I wanted to pitch this to you because of uh, Pratchett's use of language. Okay. Um, this, this story itself is a little... Um, it's its not like the greatest novel. This was an early work of his. Well, you know, earlier. He definitely got better since this. Um, I think at this point he'd been maybe writing for... 10 years at most. Um, so it's, I find it entertaining, but it, you know, it's got some story problems. It's got some structure problems, uh, but his use of language is just so amazing and funny. He's got this grasp of the English language that I think we can all aspire to. Yeah. Uh, I,
1: I was lucky to have read this on my Kindle. In which I could frequently look up words. Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> because uh, I, I had to learn some words as I was reading this. Uh, he has this guy has got a command over at language. It was it's impressive.
0: Yeah, so I mean, if anything, this assignment for you, Marcus, is going to be to play with language in a funny way, make the prose itself part of the humor, okay, uh, as well as just being able to revel in a funny fantasy world where you can pretty much do anything you want. Oh, yeah,
1: excellent. that's very clear. Like Pratchett, I think um, I had read something, I can't directly reference it, but it, you feel as you read it that he's just making this
0: stuff up as he goes. Um, <laughs> no, that's exactly what he does, too. Yeah. So this is uh, set on the Discworld, like I said. There are 41 published novels in this series, and they're not necessarily directly related. There will be like little sub-series. Like uh, The Color of Magic is one of the the first wheel. Ah, uh, sorry. Rincewind novels, where we're following that character. There, there are uh, books in the series that follow the character of Death. There are, you know, books about witches. They're all connected because they're all in this world, but they're not necessarily chronological with each other. Cool. And I have very little, uh, like frame of reference for this world. So you don't know uh, much about the Disc World. I don't. I've read two of these novels, two and a half. Did you read, read the direct th- sequel to the *Color of Magic*? I did, okay. uh, which is The Light Fantastic, which is um, pretty much a direct sequel. It takes up right where this leaves off, so it's as if it's one solid novel. Uh, and I've read like maybe part of Going Postal, and uh, yeah, it's so I don't have a lot of that reference. Apologies to any like big Discworld fans out there who think I'm butchering this.
2: So I do need to have a little disclosure here. There's a little bit I know about The Color of Magic. I think I read the first chapter about 10 years ago. Oh. So I recall, and correct me if I'm wrong, that this series takes place on a disc, a flat disc, like people may have imagined the world before they knew it was round, that is sitting on the backs of four elephants who are standing on a giant turtle that is flying through space.
0: No, you're thinking about a different Discworld. Okay,
2: different Discworld, gotcha.
0: No, this this you're exactly right. Uh, so so that's, <laughs> that's all I remember, because that yes, <laughs> so image is
2: phenomenal.
0: Yeah, and everybody on the world is aware that the world is flat, that it has an edge, that if you go to the edge, you can fall off, as you do if you sail too far <laughs> out. Uh, and everybody knows that it's on the sitting on the backs of four elephants, and that the elephants are in turn standing on the back, the shell of a gigantic sea turtle who is basically swimming through space towards something from somewhere most religions that are mentioned in this world talk about that well where's the turtle going <laughs> um that sort of thing and i love it because you know all the um all the elephants and the turtle have names the elephants are Berylia, tubul great tupon and jerakin and the shell or the the turtle itself is the great atuin the great Atuin so they can uh, you know people can reference these things because you know what you you know what you can do you can you can put out a crane over the edge of the over the disc and lower somebody down to take a look you know it's a thing you can do nice uh, in yes. fact some of the stories in this book talk about expeditions beyond the rim
2: so like does atmosphere matter <laughs>
0: Oh, who knows? Who knows? Okay. Yeah, they don't really talk about that sort of thing. I love it. Well, the fantastic thing is that this whole world is held together by magic. This is <laughs> like the Burrow. This Yeah, this is the most magic-y thing you can imagine. In fact, there is some description in this book at some point where they talk about magic as a very tangible sort of thing. Like, they mention that the air of the Discworld is so thick with magic that light actually slows down as it passes through it. (laughs) So, sunrise is not just a gleaming thing. It is sunrise happens and light washes over the world like molasses. Oh, that's beautiful! You know, in this, yeah, it's the descriptions are so interesting and out of this world. Um, and in fact, uh, magic has an associated color. Thus, the title of the book, "The Color of Magic." Ah. It is a color, color called octarine. It is the eighth color, and it is, uh, I think, described as like a purplish green. Like it, it doesn't necessarily yeah, make sense. he describes it at some point, and it does not make any sense. Um, yeah, so it is the color that is associated with magic. Yeah, um, when
1: I imagined it, it's like if
0: I mix those colors together, I'd get poop. <laughs> yeah, you get poop color, but it's a magical gleaming color. So like, yeah, if, if there was a
2: heavy burst of magic in the air, I would go, "Oh, it's a slight octarine tint today."
1: Absolutely. Um, if you could see it. Because not everybody can see it. Ah,
0: uh, are you calling yes. me a
2: muggle, a nomad?
0: Pretty much. You, you might just not be a wizard, man. Yeah. And and this is a world with wizards. This is a world with wizards and warriors and all of the tropes that you could imagine from like a nineteen seventies and eighties era fantasy story. So like, there are sword barbarians. and sandals. Yes, exactly. There's a, well,
1: there's a little bit of everything. It's not just that, you know. They everything is run on magic for the most part. Uh, in terms of power, there isn't electricity. Um, there's, but it's 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 like everything is on the table in this. You, like as as Rincewind, uh, who we'll get to in a second, this character, this wizard, is traveling. We run into little like. Uh, tree nymphs and we run into heroes with swords and we run into you know people that ride dragons you know like there's
0: everything it seems from what i've read is on the table here and often in this series he's basically creating um satire he is spoofing uh established things. So he could be like, "You know what? I want a Conan the Barbarian. I'm sorry, Conan the Barbarian character. <laughs> so I'm going to create my own Conan and do, you know, and play with that sort of thing. Or, you know what? I saw that Star Wars movie. I'm going to make something that's kind of Star Warsy. I'm going to make a Darth Vader. It, you know, uh, that is stuff i'm just making up but is totally on the table
1: they are direct references (laughs) like the dragon rider bit um it's like the Anne mccaffrey dragon books like it's it's but spoofing those um yeah so it's 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 very aware of itself is is there Um, any
2: technology
1: um like could there be robots like magic robots could i teach them
2: to love oh See, you know,
1: I, we,
0: I didn't come across any of that in my reading. Um, I would say it's possible. Um, there isn't electricity, but there is uh, reference to, oh, there's got to be something better. There's got to be, you know, or like societies on different parts of the disk that have maybe harnessed some other sort of power and been able to invent some things. But it is mostly set in the world of of simple machines okay. and magic. Um and so and like like I said, Pratchett basically just made this up as he went along. if something w- seemed funny or or fun to him, he would add it he there is no map of the disc because if he drew a map, then he'd be limited to what he could invent gotcha so Andrew
2: so why don't Ooh, we start what, by sir?
0: talking about um uh, Rincewind, because he is our main character in this story.
1: Yeah, so again, Marcus, when you write this, your assignment here, as Eric said, we'll get a bit more into the language, but the language is important. And, but in terms of like what you can do, again, so much of the, of the fantasy genre, the sorts of characters and tropes that you find is on the table. You can play with any of it. Sweet. Um, but the through line, the A to B, and the characters, is follows Rincewind, and um, And Rincewind is a—he's—he's a a wizard, uh, but he only—he only knows one spell, which he's never used. (laughs) Yeah, he's
0: not a very good wizard, is he?
1: He went went to—he went to school. He went to the university for magic, but he went to a section that he wasn't supposed to in the library and opened a book. And a spell in that book implanted itself in his head, and it's a very powerful spell. And it will not let him know any other spells. <laughs> so he was kicked out of school, and now he's walking the world very frustrated <laughs> <laughs> that he can't use any other magic. Because the way that magic works with wizards is that they have to memorize um, like a phrase of some kind, it's 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 something very complex that they have to, like, spend a long period of time memorizing and then they can only say it and use it once
0: Yeah, they, they make great mention of the fact that magic is really pretty, like, actually harnessing magic as a wizard is pretty useless um, because it takes so long to memorize and you only get one go out of it, so you could waste years of your life memorizing a spell to just use it once. Wow, yeah.
2: Yeah, so
1: Rincewind is frustrated as he is that he can't use magic. He also is very frustrated by magic in general.
0: <laughs> he 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 wishes that it worked a little bit easier. Um, <laughs> oh, well, the, another fantastic thing is the spell that's in his head keeps trying to come out. Like, in a moment of, like, great self-panic, uh, like panic, like he's about to get killed by something, this uh, spell will conjure itself up and start getting said, and he'll have to put the clamps on it to keep it in. <laughs> Does he know what the spell is? No idea. Doesn't know what it'll do. Uh, He's terrified of it.
2: So if he were to say it, would he be able to learn new spells? Uh, who knows? Yeah, he just doesn't Uh, know.
1: Well, I think by the way that Magist is is explained, yes, he would. But he's so afraid of what the spell is that he doesn't want to use it. It is
0: mentioned that that spell from that particular book is like one of the most powerful, dangerous spells in existence. <laughs> like, this was basically a book filled with, like, uh, just a handful of really crazy spells that no one should ever learn, and he's got one in his head. So that's kind of like this standing, this ticking bomb that's happening in the background of Rince Wind's entire arc, and I love it. Yeah, and is because of all this,
1: He he's a very jaded, very cynical person, yeah. um, and he... He's intelligent, but he doesn't really want to put forth the work. He's kind of done with working. So he's always trying to look for the easy way out of all these situations. And there is constant... It's like danger. He's a danger magnet. Like, everything that can go wrong to (laughs) Rincewind does. And so he is constantly uh, on guard and trying to work his way through the most complicated, dangerous situations. It's life and death for him every day, and it drives him nuts.
0: <laughs> he just wants peace and quiet. He wants the easy life, and he ain't going to get it. And he's just a coward. He's a big old wimp. He just want, He doesn't want any part of danger and adventure, but that's what he falls into constantly. And, and one of those adventures... There we go. ...is uh, a character that comes to town... Uh, oh, and by the way, the town where this story begins is the greatest city in the, on the disc. It is called Ankh-Morpork. <laughs> okay. So if you just need a place to set this, Ankh-Morpork, it's like a Twin Cities. Like there's a river. The river Ankh goes between the city of Ankh and the city of Morpork. Ankh is the super uh, like fancy, uh, very rich, very well-to-do a uh, very magical sort of place. Moorpork is like the slums. There's a lot of trade ships come into Moorpork. Um, it's run pir- by pirates. Yeah, exactly. It's just a nasty place to be. And of course, that's where uh, Rincewind lives. Um, so coming into the docks of Moorpork one day is a character named Two Flower. Andrew, do you mm-hmm. want to t- tell, tell us about Two Flower? So Two Flower is the very...
1: From the way that this book makes it, or at least the way people in Moorpork make it, the first tourist ever to come to (laughs) Moorpork. People don't go to this city as a tourist. People don't go anywhere, it seems, on the disc as a tourist. But Two Flower does. He's very (laughs) excited to be there. But he is completely oblivious to all of the danger. The place that he comes from, the way that they describe it, um, which is on the disc, it sounds... A lot like our world, it sounds um, more civilized and safe, and and the outside world, more pork here, um, is not. It is a very very dangerous place. But Two Flower, he walks through the world as if he's like to us be like he'd be watching it on television or reading it (laughs) in a book. So he's completely unaware, and he's rich. He is. Uber wealthy. I mean, not for where he comes from, but where he is. He's got this, 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 this luggage that's full of <laughs> coins, and we'll get to the luggage in a second. Yeah. But it's full of coins, and he's just throwing them out at people. So everybody in this town who are like peasants and you know slum lords, they're just eager to please him. They just want the money. They're like, "Give me the money,"
0: and he's just like, "Okay." He's just completely oblivious <laughs> to the danger that he's getting himself into. Yeah, so Two Flower, he comes from this uh, this uh, empire that's far away uh, from Ankh Morpork. But the leadership of Ankh Morpork knows that they're a very powerful country, and they don't want to mess with them. They don't want to start a conflict. So when the leadership gets the uh, the gets wind that uh, Two Flower is on their shores. Um, they task Rincewind to keep him safe. <laughs> okay. So Rincewind, um, who just happened to be the first one to come across this guy and be able to speak Two Flowers' language, Two Flower speaks does not speak the language of uh, Ankh-Morpork at all. Rincewind just happens to have a gift with languages. He knows a lot of languages. Uh, he speaks Two Flowers' language. So the leadership tasks him to keep him safe, which is tough because now that this rich guy... Is here. Everybody wants his money and wants to kill him and take his stuff. So that's a that's a difficult task for Rincewind so, to keep so him safe. So that
1: is, that is the, the, the the adventure of this story. It is Rincewind taking Two Flower through the world, trying to get him back to where he comes from and keeping him safe in the process. In the process, and this is not easy considering that Two Flower just walks into danger at all, all the time because he thinks it's amazing he he the 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 the, the majesty the 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 the, the uh the, the, the wonder of this world that's so fantastic is not lost on Two Flower. He is kind of the audience. Okay, Very is, much so. He is looking at the world like, whoa, look at all this cool stuff. And Rincewin's like, shut up. <laughs> Let's go.
0: <laughs> and Two Flower has this like hero worship. Part of the reason he's there is because he knows that Ankh-Morpork is where the heroes hang out. The warriors of great renown. And he wants to go and meet them and take a, take his picture with them and uh nice. andrew how does he how does he go about taking pictures? Oh my goodness, this camera so this camera has a little guy inside
1: of it. Just like <laughs> this bean that, that that as from what I, I am remembering, he like paints the pictures. That's what he does yeah, right yeah no, like, he's he's, it,
0: he's literally got he's got a little bedroom inside this camera and an easel set up and he just quickly paints uh, with and he's got like you know his palette full of colors and he and he's painting these pictures. Uh, which is fantastic. So anything that looks like technology, even though this just looks like a camera, is not. It's There's magic, and there's a little imp in there. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and I want to get to the luggage yes, really quickly, because the, the
1: luggage is kind of the third character. Yep. Um, so Two Flower has this, this chest, and it has legs, <laughs> so it can walk. It has a bunch of little legs underneath it, and it's sentient. So, it doesn't talk, but it can react. It walks along with them, and it's made of this, like, magical wood. I think it's called sapient pear wood. Yep. And it's indestructible. It's very, it's one of the most magical, uh, um, what, what would you say? What am I trying to say? Resources uh, on the disc also um,
0: the most expensive like literally this box made of sapient pearwood is the most sapient pearwood anyone has ever seen the value of this box is probably a thousand times greater than the uh, value of the gold that is filling <laughs> the box
1: yeah so the, the the luggage is kind of this separate character that just follows along with them and again people are trying to steal it and um it, it helps. It helps them at certain points. It, it, it's a very helpful piece of luggage.
0: It's also very murderous. It, <laughs> it, it has the ability, like, if it could, like, open up its, its uh, you know, open the lid up for you and 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 get you to, like, reach inside and then clamp down on your arm and you'll never be able to let go. Or just straight up sever your arm. Or <laughs> drag you, run around, like, at 100 miles per hour, dragging you around until your arm falls off or whatever. <laughs> These things happen. <laughs> You don't mess with the with the luggage.
2: Awesome.
1: So yeah, the, so this is just going to be an adventure with these characters uh, through the disc, which is again a free game fantasy world. Yeah, Whatever invent anything.
2: Pure right. imagination.
0: Uh huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that's uh, that's I think the basics. It really just covers the beginning. Oh oh, one re- really big thing uh, that really kicks off their adventure. Uh, where two flower comes from, he's an insurance agent.
2: <laughs> okay.
0: And in the concept of insurance does not exist in the rest of this world. And so, um, what ends up happening is he convinces an, the owner of this um, of this tavern uh, to take out an insurance policy with him. And uh, the immediate result is that the owner burns the place down to collect on the insurance money. <laughs> And that fire ends up lighting the entire city of Ankh-Morpork on fire. So basically, Two Flower comes to town, and the result is that this entire, like, the greatest city on the disc burns to the ground. And they have to get away, and they're off on an adventure.
2: Okay. So they, the after the fire, they leave Ankh-Morpork. Yes. So I can go to any land I wish
0: exactly yep i mean if you want to set it in onk because that's more interesting to you before the fire or maybe while the fire is happening all up to you but uh that is like one of the first things that we see in uh the color of magic is this happening
2: and i imagine that doesn't ingratiate two flower to the rest of the onk more uh, you know i don't know i think people are pretty oblivious but uh whatever
0: so bonus points Andrew, you go first.
1: Uh, So my bonus point is that I would like to see an appearance by the character Death. Uh, So because Rincewind is in constant danger and near death all the time, Death has a special liking of this (laughs) wizard. And he frequently pops up on their adventures and and bothers Win- Rincewind just just when Rincewind sees this character, he's he's always like, oh no, oh no, not this again, because it's you know of course it's death, so he figures that something bad is going to happen, and 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 death is just waiting for it to happen. He wants Rincewind to die so badly. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So this World is, is out to get him.
2: Classic death cloak and scythe.
1: Yep. Skull face. Okay. Yep. It's frequently said that he, he looks at you with, you know, the absence of eyes, so okay. it's hard to it's hard to read him.
2: Yeah,
0: and when he speaks, it's basically already arrived in your head. You don't necessarily hear it. It's just there. Very, very spooky. Deep. Oh, yeah. you've actually read him before, because death in this form appears in uh, Good Omens. Oh, cool. It's the same. It's one of the horsemen yeah. of the apocalypse, so it, you've seen him before. It's that same character. Thanks, Pratchett. Uh, and then my bonus points, um, I you know, I just really want to see a moment where Rincewind is about to die. It's very related to the death thing, and I want that spell to bubble up on his lips. You don't okay. necessarily need to see what the spell is, because I think that would maybe be giving away the game a bit. You can, but I want that moment where he is about to die, and the spell is about to be uttered. Okay. And that's about it.
2: So one question I do have to ask is, are there any women in this book? Uh, I mean, yes,
0: but they are exactly what you expect from 70s and 80s era fantasy. Probably not wearing very many clothes. Uh, You know, we got sorcerers and dragon riders uh, can be a thing. Um, yeah, it's it's pretty funny that Pratchett he he draws attention to it, like and, and and
1: mentions how ridiculous it is that these that these people or these women are frequently wearing very little clothing or like next to naked, and how gotcha. um just uh uh how that doesn't make much sense, but yet they do it anyway.
2: So like the armored yeah. bikini kind of thing, basically. Very much so. Gotcha, yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But it's very self-aware.
2: Cool. Guys, I am so excited. I've been wanting to read this book for probably a decade. Uh, so I think this might be the impetus to get me to go into Discworld. Beautiful. Awesome. Good luck. Thanks. We'll see you on the other side of the Octorine Sea. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I guess.
0: Hey, podcast people. If you like subscribing to things, I highly suggest you subscribe to Sham Fiction. Even if you don't like subscribing, it's, it's a good habit to get into. Why? Because when you subscribe, you'll get a new episode of Sham Fiction delivered straight to your magical pocket device every single Sunday. If you're feeling generous, you could rate our show as well. Either way, subscribing on iTunes is the best way to tell us that you're listening to Sham Fiction, and that helps us out greatly. So thanks for listening to the show. I hope you're enjoying it. Let's get back to it. Hey, Andrew Neil, old pal, old buddy. Hey, Eric. What's Marcus going on? Is, uh, Marcus is writing at the moment. He sure and is. I think we're gonna. I think we're gonna hear a story from him. His version of color o oh magic. Uh, and I just wanted to know what. Are you expecting from our main man? Well, I'm expecting
1: to have a lot of fun with this one. I think that a fun comedic fantasy is I think that's going to work well in Marcus's favor. I think sure. he's it's he's going to he's going to take to this like a duck to water. Alright. That's the saying, mean, right? I didn't get that yeah, wrong, Yeah, that, right? that is
0: actually right. Oh no, my goodness, fine.
1: I never get sayings right, so I'm really pleased with myself right now.
0: Yeah, no, there was a look of expectation on your face that was like, did I do good? <laughs> you did fine. You did great. Hey, thanks, champ. So, my secret bonus point, my prediction is
1: that Marcus is going to sneak a Harry Potter reference in here. I oh. think because we just did Harry Potter and the Cursed Child and you guys yeah, did a not get back. the chance to to do or to do that to do Harry Potter, I luckily got the chance to do that that he's gonna take some advantage of the fantasy genre and decide to end pl- the magic, all sorts of the magics and plug a little HP in there. Sure. I don't know I like what it'll that. be. But it'll be something. Maybe a hippogriff will fly by at some point. I don't no, know. that's
0: that's fun. We get some, you know, cameos are always good. He snuck in uh, a brief mention of the Doctor at one point. He did. Uh, I so, can't remember so what why that was. So not HP? But that was that. Uh, Downton Abbey. That was right. Mentioned yep. the eleventh Doctor, whom I called the tenth Doctor to yeah. my eternal shame. Uh, so I am like, okay. So we we gave him uh, we gave him death. For a bonus point, that yep. we wanted to see death. Yep. We gave him uh, the chance to use the spell or start to use the spell. Yeah, in yeah. Rincewind's brain, that was yours. Yeah, and uh, and those are both very like oh high drama death sort of uh, impending doom. Yeah, they could finish climactic
1: moments. Both of those.
0: Yeah, I kind of want to go the other way, and I'm trying to think of just like, oh, what's a nice, happy thing that could happen? I just really want to see uh, a cool moment with the with the chest with the luggage.
1: Oh I, yes.
0: I want somebody to be either hurt in a really funny way, or just some funny uh, moment. So if he doesn't have a good moment with the with the luggage, he doesn't get the points. What if someone like went inside the luggage? That could be fun. We do, like, a Fantastic Beasts sort of, like, suitcase scenario. You yeah,
1: that movie that we've all seen at this point.
0: And yep, exactly. Man. That it definitely came out already. It definitely. Definitely. Yep. Alright. Yeah. Well, let's uh, let's take a listen,
2: shall we? Let's bring Marcus in. Let's do it. Hey, guys. How you doing? I've been poring over the old scrolls, and I think I got a yarn for you. Ya. Ooh,
0: mm-hmm. color me interested. <laughs> Ooh, Col- with a U. U. yeah. I believe that's
2: how they say it. I did go to England once. <laughs> <laughs> well, you then dropping you colors and favorites? Yes. <laughs> yes, that was it. Favorites. Yep. I am a man of the world, gentlemen, and I oh, am <laughs> pleased to oh, share good. this story with you. Oh my goodness. we're uh, We're excited to hear it. Excellent. Let's let's do some color of magic. There might be some British voices that happen for a sentence or two. I'm not sure. We'll see how it goes.
1: I really hope it starts British, and then you're just like, screw it. No, thank you. you What what is this? Wait for us to stop you. Wait for us to stop you.
0: All right. All right. All
2: right. Oh my gosh. Here we go. The color of magic. I do apologize to the late great Terry Pratchett if I send any offense. Nothing but the most respect for his work. And that that happy note. Here we go. (laughs) Death thought he was subtle, which made him even more (laughs) annoying. He had been following Rincewind and Twoflower since they left the newly flaming ruin of Ankh Morpork. As far as Rincewind could tell, Death believed he was going thoroughly unnoticed. There were a few clues to this effect. The whooshing of Death's cloak as he ducked behind a tree or rock when Rincewind turned around. The cocky walk and smile on his expressionless skull face when he didn't see Rincewind looking. And, most tellingly, the constant projected monologue rattling around in Rincewind's head. <laughs> I'm coming for you, Rincewind, though you do not know. I'm coming for you, Rincewind, though you do not know. <laughs> Rincewind had noticed this habit of Death's before. Since the Timeless Devourer didn't speak in the open air, he sometimes forgot that his muttered telepathic messages carried rather farther than spoken words. <laughs> it wasn't that Death was a bad guy, per se. Rincewind had just grown tired of the hooded figure following him around and promising to take him to the lands beyond tuan So far, Death had been unsuccessful at convincing Rincewind that his time was nigh, so their disagreements were only skin, or perhaps bone, deep. And, in, <laughs> in Two Flowers' most obliviously frustrating moments... Rincewind even considered calling death out so he would have someone more sensible to speak with. The three finally converged when Rincewind and Twoflower stumbled upon a patch of mushrooms near the edge of the thicket of unrelenting torment. (laughs) Twoflower had started the process of bagging the mushrooms as souvenirs for his countrymen before Rincewind was able to convince him that they were extremely poisonous to anyone who was not magical. It wasn't wasn't Rincewind's words that did the trick, so much as the fact that when Twoflower popped a mushroom in his mouth, Death swooped down on him, startling Twoflower enough that he spat up the mushroom before consuming a fatal dose of the poison. (laughs) You're all right, said Rincewind, as Twoflower sputtered and scraped his tongue with his hands. But he's, he's, Twoflower began. Yes, Twoflower, I would like you to meet Death. Death, this is Twoflower. I know who he is, Rincewind. Death's voice reverberated in Rincewind's head, and he could tell Twoflower heard it too as the tourist grasped his head in an exaggerated motion. Aren't you curious as to how I got here so fast? Not really, Rincewind said simply. even been following us for leagues. The face of Death was ageless and unchanging, but Rincewind could swear he felt a frown emanating from beneath the hood. Oh, I see, Death said. I mean, Rincewind backpedaled, I wasn't sure at first. I, I figured maybe you'd been caught in more pork, collecting souls who perished in the fire. No, no one died, Death said gravely. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry to hear that, Rincewind said. And he took a moment to think of how his life had come to comforting Death, while his words hung on the empty air in front of the bewildered Two Flower. So, he said, breaking the silence before it could grow dangerously concrete... Uh, what's, what's new? Before Death could answer, <laughs> Twoflower squealed with delight, his fear of meeting Death completely sidelined by the appearance of two small beings tumbling out of the thicket. They're so tiny! Twoflower exclaimed. Just look at them! <laughs> Shell rot, Rincewind swore. Halflings. <laughs> We're not tiny, you great lumbering oaf, said the nearest halfling through a mouth stuffed with mushrooms. His hair was brown and curly, in contrast to the blonde and curly hair atop the head of his companion. And we'd thank you to leave us be. We're on an adventure and we found swords. We're not afraid to use them. <coughs> well, not mostly, the blonde chimed in. Twoflower's face was 90% grin. He turned his dopey head incredulously from the halflings to Rincewind. What can they do with a sword? They're adorable! <laughs> A shocking amount, said Rincewind. They're just dripping with magic, though they'd never admit it. We're not magic. We're simple folks, said the brown-haired halfling. His very <laughs> breath filled the air with an unmistakable tinge of octarine. Of course you are, said Rincewind. Come along, Twoflower. We have to go before they convince you to... What's your quest? Two said. <laughs> the halflings looked up at him with their irresistible magical earnestness. Double shell rotten, four blighted trunks, Rincewind said. (laughs) Weeks into their journey with the halflings, and hundreds of leagues of marching later, Rincewind took stock of the positive sides of having joined their quest. (laughs) Though he first had to note that even making the list was a negative, since he could tell he only had the impulse because of the frustrating magical distortion the halflings cast effortlessly on their party. They gave their companions hope, which was well enough for them because halflings were nearly impossible to kill. It was always their fellows who fell on their adventures. They would get into a pinch, then someone else would be compelled to make a sacrifice, and the halflings would mourn their friends in their adorable way before marching on with solemnity until they ate the next of their dozen daily meals and laughed about the simple pleasures of the world. (laughs) This propensity for living against all odds at least came with a positive. Death was uncomfortable around the halflings, and since Rincewind and Twoflower joined their party, he had decided to leave them alone with a cryptic parting message of, I'll see you at the end, Rincewind. He loved saying that because it was always true. Death came to everyone, including halflings probably, at the end, but the message carried with it a vague threat of being at the end of this particular journey. Overall, though, no death had to be considered a positive. Another plus was that the halflings were on a quest to Desolation Peak, the deadliest and most wicked volcano in all of Discworld. Going to the mountain, which was said to be hot enough to burn through the very souls of the Dark Lord Drithian's enemies, was not a positive. <laughs> but its relative closeness to Twoflower's home was. If they made it to the end, he could finally be free of his charge, and from his very limited experience with Halflings, Rincewind knew there was almost no chance that Twoflower would be able to abandon the journey until they at least reached the base of Desolation Peak. Even a wizard would have trouble leaving the Halflings. Rincewind was not bullish on his own chances, and had felt his spell boiling beneath the surface during a few of their more perilous encounters. Finally, Rincewind had to admit that the halflings were... cute. The brown-haired one went by the name of Sippy, and the blonde, Goldwyn. Together, Gold and Sippy faced every struggle in their adventure with the narrative certainty that they wouldn't, they would succeed to their journey's end. On days when Rincewind traveled far enough, scouting from their campsite, that the octorine cleared from the air, he considered this a negative. But when he was with the halflings, it was hard to be bitter. Even the sapient pearwood luggage of two flowers had taken a liking to their new companions. It bounced along happily and let Sippy ride atop it from time to time. (laughs) (laughs) The journey to Desolation Peak had an air of hope about it. Until they reached the foot of the mountain. Rincewind had never killed so many orcs in his life. (laughs) Their party was set upon the Dark Lord Drithian's advance guard when they reached the edge of his cursed swampland. The halflings did their part, and the luggage even managed to take down a few, but most of the slaughter came down to Rincewind. His blessed sword, a gift from the halflings who laughed about it being too large for them, cleaved heads from bodies. His swings severed limbs and plunged into hearts. By the end of this encounter, Rincewind was covered in blood, mostly the black hue of the orcs, and Twoflower was in shock under a pile of corpses. (laughs) (laughs) The wizard seized upon this opportunity to try to break the halfling's hold on Twoflower. We've journeyed with Scipion Gold as far as we can. It's time to bring you home, he said as he pulled Twoflower out of the mess of corpses. To Rincewind's shock and delight, the halflings agreed. Of course, you must go. Goldwyn said. This is our burden. We must destroy the amulet. We thank you for your companionship, Zippy added. To Rincewind's shock and disgust, this only encouraged Two Flower to stay. But you're so brave, he said. We must see you to your journey's end. Blighted trunks and shell rot didn't even begin to cover it. And as they took their first steps up the mountain, Rincewind heard the familiar chorus of I'm coming for you, Rincewind, though you do not know. I'm coming for you, Rincewind, though you do not know. (laughs) The scene above the fires of Desolation Peak was a nightmare at the end of countless hours of waking misery. They had slaughtered many more orcs and even a couple of trolls on their way to the molten core of the mountain. Rincewind carried a limp for his efforts, and the luggage bore deep cuts as a testament to its bravery. The halflings were particularly ash-covered, and Twoflower, well, he was in one piece, but had lost some of his joy at being on an adventure. Death had abandoned any pretense of hiding, and glided along the path only steps behind the travelers. Fortunately, when they reached the throne room, they found the magnificent seat of the Dark Lord Drithian's power was abandoned. The halflings apparently had other friends, and a group of heroes had led Drithian to a confrontation in the south. All they had to do was drop the amulet off the edge of the walkway, leading to the cursed bone chair that was suspended over the sea of lava. But of course, it couldn't be that easy. The halflings, who Rincewind had once thought might have been lovers, came surprisingly quickly to blows. They argued loudly in adorably high-pitched voices about using the amulet to make their agrarian life less dreary. Twoflower pulled out his camera and overworked the little man inside as he made him paint a series of the confrontation. Please, you are friends, Rincewind shouted. You are so close to saving your land, just join together and you can triumph. The halflings stopped their blows and straightened themselves to their full diminutive height. They looked from the wizard to stare deeply into each other's eyes. He's right, said Sippy, brushing a bit of Goldwyn's hair from his face. Neither of us can control the power of the amulet We are but simple non-magic folks Goldwyn agreed Rincewind checked his desire to roll his eyes He may have been unfortunate enough to learn a single overpowering spell Before he could train fully as a wizard at the university But he now saw the magic of words He had formed a bond with the halflings that was more powerful than even Lord Drithian's amulet And there was an honest beauty in that Or so he thought We can't control the amulet on our own, Sippy said. But together, Goldwyn said. And he finished his thought by holding Sippy close and placing the enchanted chain of the amulet around both of their necks. Their (laughs) eyes burst into a brilliant light. A shade of octarine enveloped them with a tint of the Dark Lord's signature color. And they spoke in a deep unison. The halfling shall live in the shadows no more. The world (laughs) will bow before the might of Sippy and gold. (laughs) <laughs> the force of their words made Rincewind stagger And his mind raced as it was filled With the frenzied recitation of some Ancient ritual in a language long lost To all but death Fighting his voice, this voice from death Was the sudden swell of words known only to Rincewind's Subconscious as the single spell He knew came to rest upon his lips The power of this magic was greater than Rincewind's fear of death and he prayed Silently to a tune to let the hooded figure Free him before he Let loose his hidden power The magic and anticipation that filled the room blinded Rincewind as his body convulsed in agony at the effort of containing the spell from escaping. The cascade of inevitability built up until Rincewind was sure he would succumb, and then it was gone. His eyes strained to adjust to the relative darkness left in the wake of the halfling's magic. When he could see once more, he realized that Sippy and Gold were no longer there. He turned to death, who had stopped chanting, and wordlessly, the two of them walked over to the edge, where Twoflower was casually taking pictures of the lava flow below. <laughs> Peering over the side of the walkway to the fires beneath, Rincewind could just make out the dual forms of the halflings, melting into the pool of flame. <laughs> the amulet began to scream as it met the furnace of its creation, and the trapped souls within began to escape. All Rincewin could manage to say at the unexpected sight was a profound, Huh. He looked to Death, who shrugged his bony shoulders And swept down to collect the spirits of the halflings Apparently as shocked as Rincewind Well, that was interesting Twoflower said As he put his camera and the tiny pictures back into his luggage What happened? Rincewind asked They were going all evil and it looked like they were stressing you out So I gave them a little push They're not very strong, you know, tiny bodies (laughs) (laughs) Two Flower, I don't know what to say Then don't Flower said, dropping the subject as quickly as he had dropped the halflings to their doom. Without missing a beat, he continued, I heard there's a giant wall up north where frills and corpses scour the land. <laughs> yes, said Rincewind, knowing and fearing what would come next. I'd really like to see that. <laughs> the end. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh. Yay, tiny bodies.
2: Tiny, tiny. bodies
1: they little halflings.
0: Oh, my goodness. <laughs> That's that, adorable.
1: That was really fun. Yay! Oh, my goodness.
2: Mm. Uh, I had fun with it. Andrew,
0: Andrew looks pretty uh, pretty pleased. He was, ah. he was like, clapping to himself with a big <laughs> smile on his face the whole time.
1: Oh, well, uh, I'm a huge fan of what this was spoofing hardcore. And, and is. yet... And yet And what? yet... You oh, chose the wrong yeah, franchise. You know, I did. So, Marcus, in my predictions, I said that you were going to sneak in a Harry Potter reference. Ooh. Given yeah. all the magics that are going on here and us recently doing Cursed Child. But you went the other route, the Lord of the Rings route. And oh my, <laughs> did it make me happy? <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, man. Mm-hmm. Uh, Eric, how you feeling? How you feeling about this? I am pretty pleased. Um, that was that was a lot of fun. I mean, I love Lord of the Rings, too. Just those little hobbits. They're stupid, <laughs> stupid furry heads. They're stupid
1: <laughs> everything. I don't know. It was I great. I love the idea that the hobbits... Well, I guess, I, I guess I'm trying to think if it was clear if they actually did know that they were magical and they were just kind of, like, playing dumb. Or if they... Uh, <laughs> they didn't actually know that they had magic but either way I just love this idea of these cute creatures that have this magical cloud around them that makes other people go oh my goodness we must save them <laughs> and like I thought about that as like retconning Lord of the Rings <laughs> oh, maybe everybody's just following these hobbits and saying yes to the hobbits because they have some sort of magic that tells them to
0: do so and I thought that was fantastic <laughs> uh, I, li- I liked your use of death in this as well this kind of this threat that just hovers over them. Very accurate, by the way, to the book. <laughs> uh, not you know spot on, but really, really good. Same same uh, vein that you hit very well. Um, man, th- there's a lot of like darkness in this too. I mean, you got you got a thicket of unrelenting torment. <laughs> you got desolation peak. Not happy not happy lands that they're traveling through. But I like that you took liberties. You made stuff up. It's perfect. Fits right in. Exactly like Pratchett did. Woo. Perfect. So, so talk about it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Tell us how writing this went for you.
2: Thank you. This was maybe my favorite one to write. I, I really? Really, really enjoyed just having kind of free reign to invent a fantasy <laughs> parody. And so I did consider a couple different things franchise that I would parody, but it had to be Lord of the Rings, because that was time appropriate to when Pratchett was writing this first volume. And also, I knew you guys were such big fans that I wanted to make some fun commentary on the Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit. And then I just got to let out some of the things that have always struck me with the Lord of the Rings. Like, there's a throwaway line about how Hobbits are just prenaturally, or, uh, you know, great fighters. they They just... They're just great at fighting. It's just part of their. Uh, so they have so much magic. Everything about the Hobbits is magic, but they never say they're magic. So I wanted to play uh, with that. And, and also romance.
0: Yeah, I got possibly. a little
2: bit. You know, who knows? Uh, who knows? Uh, who knows?
0: The tucking of the curl
1: of hair was yeah, one of my favorite brushing. details.
2: <laughs> so yeah, I just I had I had fun with it. I really tried. You know, this covers a lot of territory and mm-hmm. I was able to use the shorthand of Lord of the Rings to just show kind of scenes from that journey because you know how it goes mm-hmm. I used the D&D approved legally distinct halfling instead of hobbits Yep. yep. Uh, so that was a conscious effort there <laughs> legally distinct yep, that's our motto and yeah, I just had a lot of fun with it uh, just getting to write something a little bit sillier and I just knew it was going to end with Two Flower being completely oblivious the whole time and just killing the Hobbits. So that was that was fun for me. <laughs> that
0: was fantastic. Yeah. Uh, also so- unexpected.
1: Yeah, I, I, at that point, you know, when you're dealing with the the Hobbits' unwillingness to throw the amulet in this case into the fire. Um, By the way you built Rincewind's arc in this story, I did think that at some point he was going to swing his mighty sword and just decapitate them or something (laughs) like that. So two flowers actions came out of left field for me, but I liked it nonetheless because it made him more active there at the end. And it was a legitimate surprise when he did
0: that.
2: Mm -hmm. Excellent.
0: Yeah, gosh, it's it's, it's hard to pick this apart and say anything critical about it because it was just fun. You know, it's like you had uh, you had a lot of little pieces. Like this was, it felt like snippets of a longer story. Because, you know, we see this little scene in the beginning and then we jump several weeks later, after all these horrible, stupid adventures, you know, we get to catch up again. Um, and But I appreciated that sort of serialized nature of it. It just, it gave us a piece of like this, what if Marcus had written The Color of Magic? And <laughs> it would
2: not have been something you ever read.
0: Oh, man.
1: But it was so good. Thank you. I think this hit assignment just perfectly. You know, Mm -hmm. we mentioned how Pratchett in this book. I mean, he wanted to spoof fantasy, and that is exactly what you did. And specific fantasy, too. And that is what you did here. And you played around with the voice of it. It always had humor involved. And... I, I, I just think you nailed the assignment in this case um,
0: with those yeah, details. And, and I don't think you uh, necessarily nailed the, the Terry Pratchett uh, literary style, which, you know, not surprising, because that is, it, you, we're probably not as smart as Terry Pratchett or was. Not. It also or would have doubled the probably still is. Yeah, that too. Um, so it, there wasn't as much of that kind of just playing with the, the nature of language, playing with the definitions of words and and um similar sounding words and puns and whatever else he does uh (laughs) i'm trying to try to think of specific examples but there were some little moments like that in there which i liked there were good nods to that style and you made your own voice you know it was still fun the the uh the prose itself was funny and i think that's very important to uh to this assignment you did great
2: Yeah, it's it's really hard to tell jokes in someone else's voice. And so I I tried to play with that. I think I owe a greater debt to Scott Meyer in the uh, Off to be the Wizard trilogy. Oh, yeah, yeah. That was uh, sort of a source of inspiration here as well. It's a series of fantasy books that we did in the preview episodes of Sham Fiction where... That no one will ever hear. (laughs) it's uh, (laughs) It's just a similar parody thing with Time Travelers. Uh, going and pretending to be wizards because they live in the matrix and uh that was just you know the shorthand playing with the concepts from fantasy was something i tried to take away in this
0: yeah you did good i think it was successful me too Uh, what uh andrew wanna wanna should we start scoring this thing Sure, we final can do that. Final thoughts?
1: Yeah, because yeah. Yeah, I have a few final thoughts, but I, yeah, we can get to scores as well. So yeah. you hit my bonus points. Death was a huge part of this. I was pleased from the first line when he <laughs> showed up. And like Eric said, his behavior was very similar to the book. There's this, like, um, because he's death, there's this kind of detachment from reality that he has where he's, like, very self-confident <laughs> for most of the time. And when things don't go his way, there's always this, Ho hum sort of feeling <laughs> that you really captured. Well, um, so it was good to see him. Uh, you did not get my secret bonus points as we've covered because there I didn't at least I didn't catch any Harry Potter reference in in there. Did I no, miss No, I don't one? think
2: there's a single one. There there's just the uh, Game of Thrones reference at the end. Yes, which yes, I like. Yes, <laughs>
1: which was appreciated. Uh, but some of the th- but one of the I just I, I found this to be just a brilliant spoof of Lord of the Rings and this idea of the hobbits I thought you had a great idea there and two flower and Rincewind really fit into that mold Rincewind is such a funny it just having him fill the Gandalf role is so silly because he's not <laughs> Gandalf at all and you have him in this piece be like this great warrior who is able to slay these armies of orcs <laughs> yeah. and that just does it's like in the book that I like from what I got from the book that is not the rinse wind
2: that I know
0: (laughs) he'd be running like hell in the other direction Yeah, but then get drawn back into it against his own will he'd
1: somehow be like avoiding the orcs so that they're like stabbing each other but he's like (laughs) jumping up in between them you know and things like that so those, uh, again, liberties were taken, but to fit your spoof, it worked really well, and it still felt like that Rincewind character, despite some of those details being off. And you're swearing, too, like having him just inventing those those swears, which is uh, not something that Pratchett does in this book that I can recall, but reminded me of like Sanderson, Brandon Sanderson, um, like the Mistborn books. Yeah, I think we can blame Brandon for that. Yeah, mm-hmm. let's blame him. So, I loved this. You didn't hit uh, my secret bonus point, but who cares? I loved it. <laughs> uh, I'm going to give you uh, two uh, Hobbit corpses out of two Hobbit corpses. Or <laughs> er, Halfling, excuse me. Let's not. Gosh, oh, man, bleep that out. I, mean, I did not really get sued
2: or anything like <laughs> Don't that. Gonna get sued. Chris is going to get really mad. <laughs> Especially because I just referred to him by his first name. Yeah, Chris Tolkien.
0: Yeah, yeah. we know who you're talking about, obviously. Yeah. Nerd. Um, so uh yeah this is fun. We found a sword. <laughs> a sword. <laughs> Made me so happy. Oh. Uh, your performance was fun. Thank you. So yeah. for for that reason and many other reasons uh <laughs> I uh, I got to give you give give you a lot of points. You didn't get my uh, my secret bonus point. Ooh, what were those? Um that was I wanted a cool moment with the luggage. Like I wanted the luggage to like really hurt somebody, mm-hmm. do something extreme. We got to see a halfling riding on it, which was cute, but not like quite the uh, not quite the extreme uh, luggageness I was looking for. Uh, but you did get the spell, the moment with the spell. My regular bonus points. So uh, congratulations. I think <laughs> I'm going to give you um, out of the uh, out of the uh, the fifty thousand gold pieces inside the <laughs> oh, luggage. <no. laughs> No, I'm not going to go fantasy <laughs> oh, fantasy no. currency. I'm, I'm just going to say gold pieces. <laughs> <laughs> How many credits. How uh, many gold galleons? It's just going to be it's going to be uh 46,000 out of 50,000 gold pieces. Nice.
2: Thank you. Plus a lot they, of money. the
0: sapient pearwood trunk, which is worth like Ooh, that's know, like a million gold pieces. So it's, there you it's go.
2: invaluable.
0: You're a rich man.
2: Well, thank you, gentlemen. This was a lot of fun. Uh, So I am going to read this now, and I'm very excited. I picked it up on the Kindle for $2 about a month ago, but I haven't read it because I've been waiting to do the sham fiction. (laughs) Oh, I hope you like it. It's weird. Yeah, I think I'll I'll read this one, but I know Sanderson has a different recommended order, so I think I'll maybe pick some recommendations to really get into the disc world. Yeah, from a good, different series. Good
0: move. I mean, Color of Magic is great if you want to hear about Rincewind, but there's so many other good characters you can just dive into. You don't have to start at Color of Magic if you want to get into uh, Discworld novels. You can probably jump in pretty much anywhere and there are plenty of online reading guides and recommendations from uh, Brandon Sanderson apparently that you can look up. Yeah. And uh, you know, go to a go to a bookstore, go to a go to an online bookstore anywhere Books are sold.
2: Yeah. All right. Well, much much love to Terry and the Pratchett family. They have shaped fantasy and comedy fiction for a long time, so all our respect.
0: Yeah, hopefully we didn't ruin it too much. I liked your version. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> all, right, all right, perfect. Well, so, uh,
2: uh, yeah. Until I, next week, right? Yeah, next week. That's a little special notice, everybody. we got six episodes left. Six! Of regular sham fiction before we do our finale special. That's it! Our super secret the explosion s- finale. Man,
1: only wow. seven episodes remain. Holy so I'm going to say wow. this again,
2: just because if we go off on hiatus, I don't want you forgetting. You can't beat the dredge. <laughs> <laughs> They're pure energy. <laughs> uh, oh,
1: bye, man. everybody. We'll never forget.
0: we never forget. Bye. bye. Sham Fiction is produced by Two Jacks Productions, which is Eric Carlson, Marcus Mann, and Andrew Neal. Special thanks to Reed Reimer for providing the music. For a full list of episodes and to read this week's fiction, visit shamfiction.com. Follow us on Twitter at shamfiction, and please don't forget to subscribe and rate the show. Sham Fiction. Write what you don't know.
2: Alright, hey Sham listeners. You know, next week we got kind of an episode just you know one of those episodes like we have but this one would be with a different property because otherwise it wouldn't be a new episode you know cuz like we don't go back to the old episodes when we do the new stuff and Eric's going to be writing it and it's 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 going to be you know it's just going to be the future and it's going to be it's going to be great and it's going to be you know accounting because why not also have accounting involved when you're doing a thing that's kind of on the edge of the future and whatnot. And, you know, normally I write a script for these, but not this time. So uh, I'm going to go and I'll see you later, Sham listeners. My.